0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is 1 John chapter 1 where my Bible is opened up. I encourage you to be finding 1 John chapter 1 in your Bible as well. Lots of Bible in this part of our worship, and one of the very best ways that you can keep your mind focused for these next few minutes as we reverence God is by following along in the Word of God as we read and as we study together uh, in the pages of God's Word. It is great to see everybody this very chilly Lord's Day morning. Boy, we've just bypassed fall and went straight to winter, but uh, I'm glad that you're here. It's just a, a great time for us to be able to be together in a nice warm building like this comfortably so that we can focus on the Lord and on His Word. Thank you to our guests for being here. Glad to have folks that have been away for various reasons that are uh, back with us today. And for those that are members that are here on a regular basis, so appreciative of your presence as well. Let's read in the text. Lots to say this morning. and I want to get right to it. In 1 John chapter 1, I'm reading here in verse number 9. In 1 John 1 verse 9, John says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you were to ask the average person, Hey, what kind of image comes to your mind? Whenever you hear that term, confess our sins, what do you think of? There's a pretty good chance that the average person is going to tell you, well, I think of something like this. I hear the term confess our sins and I think of the confessional booth. And I think, I think that is what a lot of people would immediately think of. At least people that you meet out in the world, and maybe even people of a, of a maybe a denominational background, they think of the confessional booth popularized by Roman Catholicism. Here maybe you've done something wrong, you've done something bad, you've done something sinful. And so you go into the privacy of this this dark booth where you start by maybe saying, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been ten days since my last confession. Ten years since my last confession. And then you just begin spilling your guts to a priest who is seated on the other side of that partition and maybe he talks to you through the, through the window there, through the lattice there. And once you've gotten done saying everything, you've gotten everything off of your chest, then the priest is going to tell you your penance. Young adults, we studied about this in our class this morning. Going to talk about penance. That is, you're going to, here's what you've got to do. You've got to maybe go home and say, you know, five Hail Marys or do 25 jumping jacks. You're going to do something. And you're going to do this and then He's going to absolve you. That is, you're going to be freed from the guilt and from, the, from the, the suffering of that sin. You're going to be forgiven. Now, there's a lot of procedure in all of that. Lots of protocol in all of that. What's most interesting about that is that none of that is found in 1 John 1 verse 9. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament is the idea of confessing sin wrapped up in the idea of going into a special box and talking to a man who's wearing a robe and has got the little white square on his collar, and he's referred to as father, and that's how, that's how you confess sin. The Bible doesn't have any of that in mind. John simply says in this passage that if I as a Christian, if I will confess my sin to God, then the Lord's promise is that He will forgive me, and that He will provide me the cleansing and the healing that only He can provide. And that is, Christian, that is one of the greatest promises that we have in all of Scripture, isn't it? I think that's one of the most comforting promises that God has given to us in His Word. Yet perhaps I suspect that your experience with that is sometimes like mine. Where, for example, I bow my head at the dinner table... And as I'm thanking God for lots of different things, thank you, Lord, for this food that's in front of me. Thank you for the church that I'm a part of. Asking the Lord to bless the sick. Asking the Lord to bless the nation in which we live. And, oh yeah, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In Jesus' name, amen. Somehow, somehow that idea of confessing sin in that way Somehow that doesn't really produce the profound feeling of cleansing that John talks about here in this passage, does it? And I wonder if maybe the reason that we don't feel very forgiven after praying a prayer like that is because that's not really what John has in mind at all. Some cliched prayer that is hurriedly and mindlessly uttered As if somehow just chanting the right connection, the right combination of words, that that's really all that's necessary in order for me to be forgiven of my sins. I want to submit to you this morning that that kind of thoughtless, that kind of careless approach to confessing sin, I want to suggest to you that that really is about as worthless as going into the confessional booth and talking to the priest neither one of those is going to be met with the approval of God. And that is why our preaching theme for this year has been on taking sin seriously. Because a huge part of that is taking the confession of sin seriously. That if there is sin in my life, and it is causing a rift between me and my God, and sin most certainly does do that, then I want to get that repaired. I want to get that fixed just as quickly as I possibly can. And so whatever God says that I need to do to get right with Him, I do not want to take that lightly. I do not want to treat that frivolously in any way. Instead, I want to approach that with the utmost care, with the utmost concern. I want to give that the gravity that it deserves, the full import that that requires. Would you find Hosea chapter 5, please? I want to plug this in here. In Hosea the 5th chapter... As the Lord is warning through His prophet, He is warning the people of Israel and the people of Judah of the punishment that is in store for them for their sins. He says these words in Hosea chapter 5, I'm reading in the very end, verse 15. In Hosea 5 verse 15, the Lord says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face And in their distress, earnestly seek me. When's the last time? When's the last time that you acknowledged your guilt? When is the last time that you earnestly sought God's face? And in your distress, you cried out to Him to forgive your sins. Have you ever offered to God? A prayer that was nothing but confession. Because that was the only thing on your mind, that was the most important and pressing need of the moment. I need to simply confess my sin to God. This morning, our goal for the next few minutes is to learn how to talk to God about sin. And I want to help us to do that not in a congregational kind of setting, even though our brother Luke did a wonderful job of leading us in a very thoughtful prayer of that nature a few moments ago. What I'm talking about this morning is how do I talk to God about my sin, personally, individually, so that I can know the forgiveness and the cleansing and the healing that He has promised in His Word. It seems to me that in order for us to do that, we're going to need some motivation here. And the place that I'd like for us to get that motivation from is in the book of Psalms. Would you find the book of Psalms, please, and in Psalm 32 in particular? In Psalm 32, there we learn what exactly happens whenever we try to resist the confession of sin. David writes this psalm, and he is writing it out of his own experiences. David, you'll remember, had sinned grievously. Things involving Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, all kinds of terrible things that David did. And for at least nine months... David refused to acknowledge the guilt of his sins. Well, what happens when you do that? What happens when you try to hide your sins? What happens when you try to just kind of keep all that bottled inside? What happens when you try to pretend like that didn't really happen? What happens when you just hope that it will just kind of go away on its own? David, how would that work out for you? Psalm 32, look at verse 3. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Unconfessed sin, David is telling us, unconfessed sin takes a toll on the sinner. Can I draw your attention to some of the expressions that David uses there in this passage? First of all, in verse 3, he says, My bones wasted away. I think that probably speaks to some of the physical pain that we bring upon ourselves when we don't confess our sins. Have you ever experienced that before? There have been times in my life when I can think of, when I know I was keeping sin bottled inside, and it literally made me sick to my stomach. That's the kind of thing that can happen when we allow sin to go unconfessed. And then there's that next expression there, my groaning all the day long. I think that speaks to the inner turmoil that just eats and gnaws away at us. The anxiety and the worry that I could be found out. That would include as well the fear that, well, what happens if I die and I don't do anything about this? What if the Lord returns and I'm not prepared? What if I'm lost forever? And that would mean as well the stress The stress of trying to keep up the facade and the charade of my own hypocrisy. And then look at verse 4. Look at the expression there. He says, God, your hand was heavy upon me. I believe that's probably a reference to the chastening of the Lord. How God will allow or how God will cause suffering to enter into my life in order to get my attention. In order to chasten me and awaken me to my situation. That if I'm not going to deal with sin in my life, God most certainly will. And then that final expression there, that my strength was, was dried up. And I think that probably speaks to some of the emotional pain and trauma that is caused by unconfessed sin, that I am down. I am depressed. My vitality, it's been sapped away from me. Life feels empty. Life is joyless. Now let me ask you, You put all that in the blender there. Who wants any of that? Who wants that? Who here wants the physical and the emotional and the mental distress of packing around unconfessed sin? And of course, that doesn't even take into account the spiritual effect that unconfessed sin has in our lives. Namely, that we are guilty before God. It separates us from the Lord. I believe if David were standing right here right now, David would say, take it from me. It's not worth it. You have all the motivation that you need to do what I did, and that is to confess my sin. And in fact, that's what David says in the very next verse. After going through all of that, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And that is exactly what we want. That's what we're shooting for there. The greatest of all motivations, forgiveness. And the path to that, I believe, is through genuine, heartfelt, earnest confession unto God. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that confessing stuff? We've got the motivation that we need, both motivated negatively and positively. How do we go about doing that confession stuff in an effective kind of way. Well, in these final few minutes, let me just set before you just a handful of very practical ideas that I believe will help get our foot on that path that leads to the cleansing and the forgiveness that we so desperately desire and the cleansing and forgiveness that God has promised. And I'm going to start that by suggesting this first thing, and this is maybe the thing that doesn't get said enough about confession. And that is, I'm going to suggest that we need to Take the time to talk to God deeply about our sins. You know, I am amazed that for many of us, confessing sin, and I say this from my own personal experience, I'm amazed that for many of us, confessing sin takes only a matter of a couple of seconds. Lord, forgive me of my many sins. That's it. It's just kind of all there was to that. And I just now kind of move on to other concerns and things that are going on in my life. I say amen and I go about the rest of my day. Now, I want to say here, there certainly is a place and there certainly is a time for direct and concise statements of guilt and confession before God. I'm looking for Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, for example, it is Jesus who actually gives us this example of this very thing. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And if you remember, it is the Pharisee who is the one who prays this big, long, self-congratulatory prayer. But it is the tax collector, on the other hand, Luke 18, verse 13. We're told in Luke 18, verse 13, that the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, that's a pretty short prayer, isn't it? That's a pretty short prayer of confession. And in fact, the very next verse goes on. Jesus goes on to say that it is the tax collector. And by his prayer and his acknowledgement, he's the one who goes to his house justified. And so please don't think that I'm standing up here and saying that God does not accept short or general prayers of confession. Yet even as I say that, would you look carefully again at this man's confession in verse 13? This guy did not sandwich his confession of sin between 15 other prayer requests. Nor does this look like to me something that took only two and a half seconds. This is a man who has taken the time to come all the way to the temple to pray, verse 10 says. He has thought deeply about his sins and about himself. He is beating upon his chest, verse 13 says. His head is bowed, prostrated before the Lord. And so when this guy says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, yeah, that's a pretty short prayer, but I don't think there's anything quick or hurried about that. In fact, I would say that this idea of taking time in confession, I would actually suggest to you that that's actually a consistent pattern that we find in Scripture. Look, for example, in the Old Testament in Nehemiah chapter 1. In Nehemiah chapter 1, the Old Testament is actually one of the best places that we can go to see living, breathing examples of this kind of confession. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah learns of the state of God's people and what's going on with them. And so he prays this prayer for himself and for all of Israel. He says in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 5, I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you, notice this, day and night. I pray this before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Nehemiah says, day and night I pray these words of confession. Turn back maybe just a page or two to the book of Ezra in Ezra chapter 9. In Ezra 9, I think this was maybe discussed in the adult Bible class this morning. In one of what I deem to be one of the greatest prayers of confession in all of the Bible, Ezra learns of the sins of God's people. And notice what's said there in Ezra chapter 9 and in verse 3. Ezra says, as soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak. I pulled the hair from my head and beard and I sat appalled. Verse 4, Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exile, they gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. All day long, Ezra says, I just sat there in utter shame over what we have done. And then what follows is this amazing prayer. Verse 6, Oh my God, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift my face to You, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. There's nothing quick here. There's nothing formulaic about this confession of sin. And I wonder how many of us have done what Ezra did here, where we suspend all other prayer requests, we stop everything that we are doing, and we just sit. We sit in shame before the Lord all day long until finally we do cry out to God and we confess, God, my sins are higher than my head. My sins, my guilt, it is reached up to the heavens, Lord. In Ezra 9, in Nehemiah 1, in Psalm 32, in Daniel 9 that we'll look at in just a moment, we see people who take sin seriously. And they realize that sin cannot be dealt with in some kind of trifling sort of way. You don't deal with sin the way that sometimes I think we kind of do, like like how we order fast food at McDonald's. Oh, I'll take two healings for the sick, uh, 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 maybe a supersized order of blessing for our nation, and oh yeah, a side order of forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God forbid that we would ever reduce confessing our sin to such a trifling thing. Years ago, a brother in Christ confided in me that he was fighting a battle with recurring sexual sin. And he told me that part of the reason that he continued to lapse right back in to the same bad habits and the same wicked practices was because he would commit the sin and then he would just just bow his head. He would pray, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me of that. And then he'd just go right about his day again. Until eventually he found himself right back in that same sin yet again. And I'll never forget his words about that as he explained all that to me. He said, Josh, the problem is, the problem is it's just, it's just too easy. It's just too easy. You sin, and you say, I'm sorry, and then you just move on. It's too easy. And I'll tell you, I've thought back to that conversation, and I regret, I regret that at that time I did not direct his attention to pastors like Ezra 9 or Nehemiah 1 or Psalm 32, all these great prayers of confession in the Bible. Because these passages show us that there's nothing easy about this. These examples show us that when we are in sin, especially when we are in recurring sin, that what we need to do is we need to seek God earnestly and fervently. That is the pattern in Scripture, to take time, take real time. Talk about it fervently to the Lord. And as we're doing that, secondly, what we want to do is we want to spend some time talking to God about Him. You might be surprised to hear that because usually whenever we think about confession, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about me. Thinking about what I have done. We hear a sermon about confession and maybe we're a little bit motivated to make application of that in our lives and so we go home this afternoon and we just start crying out to God about all the horrible things that I have done. And where does that oftentimes lead? Well, oftentimes we go home and we pray that prayer. We stack up that big old pile of sins. Lord, I did all these bad things. I'm just naming them all one by one, all this bad stuff. And when we're done with that, we end up saying things like, I just still don't feel very forgiven. You know, it's hard for me to believe that God can forgive someone who has sinned so much like I have. Well, what's the problem there? The problem there is that we're all focused on the forgivee, and we're not focused enough on the forgiver. I mentioned a moment ago Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. Would you be finding Daniel chapter 9, please? In Daniel chapter 9, we'll actually be reading in the book of Daniel this week in our... Bible reading schedule, Daniel offers a prayer of confession. I want you to notice how Daniel begins that prayer. In Daniel chapter 9, look with me in verse 4. In Daniel 9 verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Drop down to verse 7. To You, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. Drop down to verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. Daniel is saying, look at who God is. Look at His nature and His character. And how he longs to forgive. How he longs to be gracious and to be merciful. Daniel just extols the great attributes and the virtues of the Lord. In fact, did you notice that in the other prayers that we've already looked at? Would you find that prayer in Nehemiah again? Look at Nehemiah 1 again. Because that's exactly how Nehemiah starts his prayer. Nehemiah doesn't begin just enumerating all the bad stuff that they've done. Nehemiah starts. Nehemiah 1 verse 5. He says, O Lord... God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. That's the recognition that this is who I'm talking to. That this is what He is all about. Do you remember the verse we started with in 1 John 1 verse 9? That if we confess our sins, who is God? God is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's talk, let's talk about God. Let's be reminded of who He is. And how loving and how merciful and how kind He is. Because in confession, that is what we are appealing to. We are appealing to God's love. We are appealing to His mercy. We are appealing to His grace and His kindness and His righteousness. And so the more that we talk about that, the more it reinforces within us the conviction that God can and God will do exactly as He has promised. Yes, confession of sin is about us, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But it is also very much about God and about who God is and about what God will do whenever we humble ourselves before Him. Then, then we can begin to speak plainly to the Lord about our sin. And I really need to emphasize this point just as strongly as I can. When we come before the Lord in confession, we're not talking about dealing with our sin in some kind of nebulous and generalized sort of way. Lord, Lord, just whatever I've done wrong, I'm sorry for it. That's not what the Lord is looking for from us. Would you find Joshua chapter 7, please? In Joshua chapter 7, this is the account of Achan after the battle of Ai. if you remember that story there, the Israelites were actually defeated at Ai. They were defeated by those armies. It's a terribly humbling experience for them. And the reason they were defeated, they come to find out, was because there was unconfessed sin in the camp. And so in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua, the leader of the people, he just starts going through the camp. And he ends up ferreting out where this sin is coming from. And he comes to find out that it is with Achan. And so he confronts Achan. Joshua chapter 7 verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to Him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. If you're reading from an English Standard Version, do you see that expression there, give praise? You may have a footnote in your Bible. That is the same terminology that is rendered elsewhere Make confession. Achan, tell me what you have done. Make confession. And you know what Joshua wants to hear out of Achan's mouth, don't you? He does not want to hear Achan say, Well, if I have made some mistakes in judgment, I'm sorry for that. He does not want to hear Achan say, Well, you know, if maybe I did a bad thing that was wrong at one time, I apologize about that. If I have offended anyone, well, I'm certainly sorry. No. That kind of mealy mouth, mush mouth kind of confession that we hear so often in our culture today, we see that kind of thing whenever politicians or movie stars and important people, whenever they get caught in their sins, they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar and they give those kinds of very scripted kinds of responses. That's not going to work here. All those if-I's and all those rationalizations, all of those excuses, that's not confession. In fact, we can know that just by looking at the word confession itself. If you were reading all of the passages in the New Testament about confession and you were reading those from a Greek Bible, you would be reading this word right here. You'd be reading the word homologeo. That's a compound word. It comes from two words: the word "homo" meaning the same, and then the word "logos," which means word. Homologeo, the same word. And in confession, what that means is is that means that we're going to say the same words that God says. And in this context, it means we're going to say the same thing about sin. That God says about sin. Instead of excusing my sin, instead of pushing that away, instead of acting like it's really not that big of a deal, no, I'm going to homologale. I'm going to say what God says about it. That God, this is sin. This is what I have done. This is wrong, and I recognize it's wrong, and it can never ever be right. There was no excuse for me doing this. I did this, Lord. I am guilty, I am guilty of this sin. Confession is not some carefully crafted statement full of all kinds of vague generalities and all kinds of cover stories. No, that's not saying the same thing that God says. In confession, we come clean. In confession, we lay ourselves bare before the Lord, before the one who really sees what we have done, and we just candidly admit, I did this! I did this, Lord, and it was so wrong! And yes, this is exactly where godly sorrow is going to come into the picture. Which you find in the Psalms again, look in Psalm 38. In Psalm 38, this is credited as another of the Psalms of David. In Psalm 38, David says in verse 18... In Psalm 38 and in verse 18, David says, I confess my iniquity. then look at the next statement. I am sorry for my sin. One of the reasons I believe that God wants us to acknowledge our sin is so that we will be broken hearted that we will be contrite. We will be sorrowful. That's from the same family of words as the word sorry. Sorrowful over the fact that we have disappointed God. Over the fact that we have wronged the creator of the universe. And I'll tell you, sometimes, sometimes just saying those words out loud, I mean literally, verbally, saying those words out loud and hearing myself say the words, I did fill in the blank. In many ways, that painful acknowledgement, hearing that from my own lips, that is extremely humbling. And it causes me to just throw myself even harder at the mercy and at the feet of God. And when I do that, then I can. I can ask God for His forgiveness. If you're still hearing the Psalms, would you turn over to the 51st Psalm? In Psalm 51 really had to restrain how much I use Psalm 51 in this sermon because Brother Seth did a wonderful lesson just a few months ago about the 51st Psalm, but I do want to lean upon it right now because it is a powerful confession and it is a powerful request that David makes. Look at the request that David makes, Psalm 51, verse 1. This again is related to the sins that David had committed with Bathsheba. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, isn't it interesting that lots of times whenever we are in sin, we want to start here. We want to start just immediately asking for forgiveness without maybe doing some of these other things that really need to come before that. But I do believe that whenever we have taken seriously the opportunity to truly make confession, then we are now in a position where we can ask God. We can make that request that David made, Lord, please forgive me. That's certainly not something that we can demand. And it's certainly not something that we deserve. But we can ask we can ask with the confident expectation that God will answer that request. And I thought about this. I thought that maybe this is something Maybe we need to be reminded of more often. That God does want to forgive us. God's not the big mean bully in the sky just like, nah, I don't want to forgive those people and kind of all miserly with forgiveness. No. God wants to forgive. He wants to pour that out on our lives. He wants to give forgiveness to those who are truly penitent, which leads to this last idea, and that is that confession of sin, I believe it is important that that includes as well a promise to God that we're going to turn away from sin. If you're still here in the wisdom literature, just jump over to the book of Proverbs now. In Proverbs 28, these are the words of Solomon. In Proverbs chapter 28, Solomon says here in verse 13, Proverbs 28, verse 13, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Sometimes folks want to imagine that, well, you know, just as long as you admit that you did wrong, as long as you just kind of own up to it and tell God, yep, I did that wrong thing, I did that bad stuff, that that just kind of of fixes everything, that solves the whole thing. Well, I want to tell you, admitting our sin, that is a great beginning, but it's exactly that. It's a it's a beginning. There must then be a determination on our part to root that sin out, to get it out of our lives, to forsake that sin. Did you notice in the passage, he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. And so part of that prayer of confession is that we would ask God for renewed strength so that we can overcome, so that we can move past, so that we would not fall back in to those same sins. Lord, help me to forsake this wicked, evil doing in my life, so that I can serve you and serve you with a clear conscience going forward. Lord, help me to repent. Help me to make that repentance stick. Lord willing, before this series is over this year, we're going to talk about repentance in death. Let me ask you, if you ask God to help you to repent and to put sin out of your life, you think God's going to say no to that prayer? Absolutely not. God longs to hear those words from our mouths. God is serious about helping people who are serious about getting over sin. What a powerful conclusion then that provides for a prayer of confession. Because that says, God, I'm trusting that You're going to forgive me of my sins. And now with that clean slate, I am ready to move forward. Get out there and serve you with a pure, with a clean heart. You know, whenever we talk to people out in the world, people who are not Christians, whenever we talk to them about what it is that God offers to sinners, salvation and all that that entails, ultimately when we get into that conversation with folks, we end up talking with them about what happens in that baptistry. We talk to them about what happens in the waters of baptism. About how amazing and awesome and wonderful it is to be washed clean of all of our sins. As well we should. We ought to talk about that. We ought to talk about how amazing and wonderful that is for the person who has never become a child of God. But let's not forget that whenever we're talking with each other, when we're talking with our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we need to remind each other that we, we can revisit those same wonderful feelings of cleansing and healing. We can experience that all once again. Whenever we humble ourselves, bow our knees and bow our hearts before the Lord, and earnestly seek His face in confession. What a privilege it is that we can speak directly To the very one whom we have sinned against. And that is who our sins are really against. They're against God. And to know that He's not going to just strike us down immediately. That He's not going to turn Himself away from us. But that when we confess, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who maybe needs a little bit of help in making that prayer of confession. Maybe there are some things that you need to confess, not only to God, but maybe there are some things that you even need to confess to your brothers and your sisters in Christ. James chapter 5 verse 16 talks about how there's going to be occasions where we do need to involve our brothers and sisters in this confession thing. If that does describe you this morning, then I want you to know we are ready to pray earnestly on your behalf and help you so that you can serve the Lord in a better way. You can know the cleansing and the healing and the forgiveness that God promises in confession. It may be though that you're sitting here this morning and we've talked about all this, this cleansing and the forgiveness that's found in Christ Jesus, but you're not a Christian. You're kind of on the outside looking in. But that sounds good to you. you. You want that. You need that cleansing and healing and forgiveness. You need to know that you can access those same wonderful blessings, but you are going to do that in the waters of baptism. You are going to make a confession, but it's not a confession that you're a sinner. It's a confession that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's saying the same thing that God says. A commitment to repent and turn away from sin, and then to be plunged into those waters to have all your past sins washed away. Do you need to take those steps this morning? All things are ready for you to become a child of God this very hour. Our God is so gracious and so wonderful that He's made it possible that we can be in fellowship with Him. Are there some steps you need to take this morning so that you can know those blessings? If so, would you come forward and make those wishes known while we stand and while we sing?